Welcome back to the Bugcast. I was recently invited to speak for some high school students about possible careers in entomology. Science in general, but I was focusing, of course, on my realm of experience, which is entomology. So sit back, have a listen, and hear about possible ideas if you're looking for a career change. careers out there related to insects. Now, this may seem like an odd place to start, and I can assure you that this presentation is put together much in the same way, is organized the same way that my mind is, which is to say not at all. So we're just going to go with it. I'm starting here because I have a love of old cheesy B-movies. So, you know, back from the original Godzilla, the original Japanese version, then we did it again and played with it. And then there was a huge, uh, huge influx of these movies back in the 50s. And of that would be some of these, the first being them. And I can say as an actual entomologist, it is actually a fairly accurate-ish uh, film when it comes to the, the portrayal of an entomologist and some of the science of the ants. Uh, of course, there are no radioactive bombs making the ants huge and devouring all of the people in the town, but still, uh, there was a little bit of truth to it, and I quite enjoyed it. Um, so I always throw that, throw that up there. Another way that this kind of plays into the idea of entomology as a career is you think about these films back then, and even somewhat uh, to some more modern films, you get your arachnophobia from the 90s, some couple more modern films, you have insect wrangler, wranglers. They're actually people that specialize in rearing, training, big air quotes around the word training there, uh, spiders, millipedes, all of these critters to be used in television and cinema. And of course, one of my all-time favorite movies, I'm sure some of you might know this one, didn't have much basis in the realm of reality, but I love Starship Troopers. And uh, I don't care what the haters say. Anybody recognize these two people up here? They look familiar? No? Big, big guy, great big bushy beard in the top corner there? Is his name Charles? His name is Charles. Last name right, rhymes with Farwin? That would be Darwin. Darwin. Good job, thank you. Charles Darwin. Uh, and this guy in the bottom corner here, I would be very surprised if you recognized the picture but I bet a good chunk of you might recognize the name. There was a film made uh, in the early 2000s, a sort of biopic about this guy, Dr. Alfred Kinsey. Both of these guys started out, well, not started out, but got a good basis of their education and science uh, and careers in entomology. Charles Darwin is a coleopterist. He studied beetles. 
and did a lot of work looking at describing and identifying these new species of beetles among a number of different other species of flora and fauna around the Galapagos and other parts of the world. And of course, we all are familiar with him uh, as being one of the main individuals uh, responsible for bringing to light the idea of natural selection as a means that evolution progresses and occurs. Now, Kinsey, does anyone know the name Kinsey? Does it sound familiar? Dr. Kinsey, he got his, his start over in Indiana, and he actually has, there's a, the Kinsey School, or the Kinsey, I can't remember the name of the, the business or the department, or um, based on uh, his work. Though he started working with cynipid wasps, or gall wasps, they're itty bitty little tiny, tiny wasps that uh, are parasitoids. Uh, that is not what he is famous for. He is famous for exploring and identifying and working with humans and uh, refining our understanding of sexuality. So you might have heard of uh, the sexuality in the human male and then human female uh, back in the 40s or 50s. And uh, if you look at him and his history, a lot of his understanding of science and the work that he did in human sexuality has a strong basis from his experience in entomology. No one knows this bug stuff, but everyone knows about the, uh, the human stuff. So if we're talking entomology as a job, it's kind of hard out there. You know, I, I, as much as I love bugs, the work, uh, the career counselors are going to say, world's your oyster. And it's true. In, in a way, but you have to know what you're doing, and if you don't have a niche that you want to fit into, you have to be willing to create it. So the spots that are there, the types of work that are there in the majority, uh, or in, that are easier to find, uh, kind of fall into two categories. Private industry, uh, your pesticide companies, uh, pest control, pests are a big issue, so you're gonna see a lot of private work in those fields. And uh, on the public sector, one of the biggest areas from that is right here, the Department of Defense, entomologists in the military. And what they're doing is dealing also with pests, but generally focusing on human health issues. So they're looking at especially mosquitoes. And we all hate mosquitoes, right? I, I am one of those people, I can't go outside in the summer and not get eaten up a ton. Does anybody else have that same problem? You're just, you're, you're out there and you're like five minutes later, big old welts and scratching and you have the plague, right? Uh, that's one of the biggest problems that these guys are facing, that we are facing as a people. Mosquitoes kill more people every year than people do. There's your wonderful, wonderful Jeopardy fact for the day. Uh, malaria, dengue, yellow fever, Zika, these are all mosquito-borne viruses, uh, diseases, bacteria that are vectored and kill us uh, and cause a myriad of diseases and discomfort to millions of people around the globe every year and throughout history. Uh, there's an interesting book called The American Plague. If you want to look at how American history was shaped by the mosquito, yellow fever wiped out a large portion of our early colonial uh, and early, once we were no longer colonies, once we were actually states and part of the United States of America, uh, sort of wiped out part of our population. So definitely a big problem that we are worried about. Um, and of course, internationally as well. Definitely 
still an issue here in the States as well internationally. So they're going out trying to identify mosquitoes where they're at. They are applying pesticides when and where needed. They're also looking at not just your mosquitoes, but you also got your ticks. Lyme disease is one of the biggest, most important vectored diseases. Vectored meaning one critter giving it to another. So a tick giving the disease to a human, a mosquito giving the disease to a person. Uh, and of course, bed bugs. Bed bugs we are all familiar, familiar with, um, I'm sure. Thankfully, they do not vector any diseases. There is some evidence that they can bring some fungi that kind of stick to their leg hairs, um, but that isn't really conclusive yet. So thankfully, uh, bed bugs are more of a nuisance. And I say that, you know, knowing full well that if I found them in my house, I would nuke it for more rit. Um, not an approved pest control technique. Uh, so don't tell the state that you're going to burn your house down if you find bed bugs. Um, but yeah, they make me very nervous, and I understand. I absolutely get it. So your public health entomologists are going to be working with the military, sometimes with some non-governmental organizations, some aid organizations, and generally with your state or county or agencies. Uh, here in Ohio, we have... We don't have much in the way of people doing this from the government side. There's one guy that works at the state office who does all the paperwork. They hire some temps in the summer, and mostly everything else is contract contracted out to temporary uh, workers with local pest control companies. Some counties will hire a worker or two for the summer, and actually I would recommend doing that if you have an interest. Any interest in science or understanding you know, the natural world out there are getting some experience with that in a different way. I would definitely recommend that. Summit County is hiring them right now, and the state is currently hiring temporary people for the summer. The state is hiring like 15 bucks an hour, so get on that. Um, but yeah, public health as a career for public health entomology, very interesting. I find it fascinating myself, um, but if you want to have an actual career that's paying a lot of money for it, uh, the feds with the military is especially where you want to be going for that. Now, pests are the big thing here because as much as I love insects, uh, the little critters that are flying around just doing their thing generally don't pester us, right? Or don't bother us much. The vast majority don't do anything with us. It's just these few, but these few can have a really significant impact, right? So it's those few mosquitoes, it's those few ticks, and it's a number of these guys. Now, these are examples of stored product pests. These are the critters that are getting in, going to be getting into your cereal, your breads, your corn, your wheat, all of these things at different stages of production. So this is why we have, this is why people have to apply pesticides, organic or synthetic, to your corn, to any of the crops that are out there. This is why we have people doing treatment or vacuum sealing, and why we have expiration dates on a good chunk of our food products. Yes, some of it's arbitrarily decided, oh, best used by November 5th, 1985. That may not be exact, although if you have something from 1985, I do recommend throwing it away. Um, but some of those dates are there, not just to give you an idea of when it could be okay or best to use, but it also provides some legal protection 
to the company that has manufactured it. So my, uh, I, I, I am not one to, well, I make fun of myself from time to time, but my significant other, uh, it's easier to make fun of him. I love him very much and he's not here. So uh, I was helping him clean and reorganize his house. His pantry had a number of boxes of flowers and cereals and things like that in it. And a couple of them expired a while ago. So I pulled one out. It was one of my favorite pancake mixes. He has not made me pancakes in a while. It's a box of uh, Kodiak cakes. Very nice, mix of different grains and this really nice good texture flavor. This particular one was flax seed uh, mixed in it. So like supposed to be little tiny, little tiny brownish colored seeds in there, right? So I pulled it out and I'm looking at it and thinking, oh, okay, there's some seeds in there. That's uh, okay, some seed. Wait a minute. The seeds are moving. He had a bunch of these little tiny beetles and a pupa and the husks from the, uh, the greens that they had eaten was kind of piled in the, uh, the box of pancake mix. So, okay, now let's say I just bought that box of mix at the store. I've had it in my shelf for a week. I just opened it. All of those critters are in there. Well, what's the date on that? The date is six months from now. I, I'm American, I'm gonna sue, right? That's what we do, it's the American way. But what if I had that box? I bought it a year ago, forgot about it. It's still sealed, but it expired six months ago. I have no case, right? I didn't follow the date that was on that box that covered the company's butt. And I was silly and just put it away and forgot I had it. So those numbers are there for a reason. These pests are part of that reason. Now, these aren't gonna harm you. In fact, another aspect of the stored product pest is that there are legally allowed limits of insect bits that are allowed to be in all of our foods. I know, I, I saw your face. Yes, exactly. But the thing is, it's not harmful. You know, you, people have been eating insects and other arthropods for thousands of years. Our ancestors have been eating termites and ants and locusts, tarantulas, there are people eating tarantulas today. Now, who here eats shrimp? Anyone eat shrimp? Crab? Lobster? They're all in the exact same group. They're all arthropods, just like these insects. They're just the insects of the sea. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. I still get queasy or a little bit uncomfortable thinking about eating insects. But really, it's not any different. The protein, just the same, we get good protein and nutrition from insects, but it's all, it's all kind of a mental thing. Anywho, so you have those legally allowed limits. You can only have one gram of beetle wings and three whole beetles per 100 grams of coffee beans or something like that. So those limits are there, again, to cover the company's butt and more for aesthetic reasons than anything else because most of us got a little uncomfortable thinking about eating the insects, and that's why. And there are people that are responsible for looking through those samples and doing quality checks uh, and reviews prior to sale, and from the perspective of the regulators, the government, reviewing those samples. Forest entomology. Any questions so far? Feel free to ask questions if you have them along the way. So, yeah. So the eggs and the pancake mix are just dormant for a really long time. They could be. 
It's possible that there was an egg in there that was missed. It's possible there was a pupa, uh, which is the middle stage. So you get egg, larva, pupa, like a butterfly cocoon kind of thing. And then it became an adult. And the adult found another adult or something like that happened. Um, you would need, of course, at least male and female to mate and make more. Um, so there's a number of situations that could happen. It could be that he had, since he had several boxes of cereal, pancake mix, my, my pantry is perfect. No old or discarded stuff in my pantry. It's all, it's all his. Yeah, I, honest, Scout's Honor and all that. Um, it could be from one of the other boxes or from something else. And they uh, were attracted to the open container of pancake mix that he had there and made a new home for themselves. So there are a number of ways it could have gotten there. Could it come from the store? It could have come from his house into there. Excuse me. Other things that might have it would be dog foods, potpourris, like those little flowery potpourris. Uh, if you ever get, like, I don't see them as much as I used to. My stepmom loves these bags of scented stuff with what looks like wood chips and dried flowers. I, I, I don't know if they still really do it, but she would put them behind on the back of the toilet bowl, like it was supposed to make the, the bathroom romantic. I don't know why she would do it, but she, she did this always, and we'd get little bugs in the bathroom because they were coming in from this potpourri thing. Answer your question? Okay. So there's a number of places they can come in from. Um, so insects and other arthropods, I guess I should go back and kind of review there. So the arthropods are the big group, right? So arthropods include your insects, your spiders, your crabs, your lobsters, your harvestmans, which are what most people here would probably call a daddy long legs. They're not technically spiders. Um, if they have a football-shaped body, can't do a football with my hands. Football-shaped body, that is a harvestman, not a spider. If it has a pinched belly, sort of like a figure eight sort of thing, that is most likely a spider. So that pinched waist is what makes you know it's a spider. Scorpions, of course, are arachnids. And if you've ever seen the film Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, fourth film, right? Uh, there's a scene in there when Harry is getting this demonstration of the unforgivable curses and uh, Professor, who is it? Moody? Mad-Eye Moody. Mad Moody. He, and Gorgios, that creature, that is a tailless whip scorpion. Those are really cool looking. They are not actual scorpions. I think they're very adorable. Anywho, so insects, arthropods, all over the place, inhabiting all parts of our lives. And forests are no exception. Do we know what this critter is here? This big shiny green thing? What do we, what, what kind of trees are we running out of in this state? Starts with an A. Ash. This is the emerald ash borer. These critters are single-handedly responsible for the destruction of most of our ash trees in this state. Uh, prior to this, ash was a pretty thriving industry, making bats and some other items. Uh, but these guys have pretty much decimated the trees. There are some pesticides that can be used to protect the trees, but uh, there's a, not a lot you can do unless you have a huge, huge overwhelming effort to combat these guys once they got out of quarantine. These guys, these guys also have a faster life cycle, so it can be tough. Uh, I did an interview recently with a friend of mine who's involved in 
work with another pest that's coming up next, another forest pest, and they're trying to use the experience from the Emerald Ash Borer program, both these successes and failures, to manage this next pest. Now this guy, you might not know this little guy. This guy is really tiny. This is a bark beetle, one of the species of bark beetles. This is also a significant pest, but not as much over here as it is over on the west coast. Now what happened in California this last summer that like every time you turn on the news, what was happening in California? Fire. Fire. One of the biggest problems with those fires is from these guys. These bark beetles combined with efforts, uh, well-meaning, but ultimately it was a problem. People not thinning out forests and not removing dead trees. A lot of those dead trees caused by this pest. Uh, in, in addition to problems with climate change and expansion of human habitat, we saw wildfires this last summer that rivaled pretty much anything we'd seen before, right? One of the problems that people don't think about when we talk about climate change, you can say it's not real, it is real, whatever. I'm gonna talk about this particular critter and what's happened over the last 20 years. As the climate has changed, as temperatures have changed, the, the movement and the range of these bark beetles has increased. They're able to go to higher elevations up in the mountains, they have spread further out and further north, meaning that they have been going after trees and taking this fungus that they carry along with them, that's what kills the trees. It's not the beetle, it's the fungus they bring with them. So when you're thinking about a career in, say, forest entomology, focusing on this pest, you're working not just mentally with the idea of, okay, here's a beetle, the beetle eats the wood, I'm gonna squish the beetle and call it good. No, you have to worry about how the environment is impacting the life cycle of this beetle, how that's been changing, how the symbiotic relationship of the fungi on the beetle is, in, is influencing that environment and then that environment's influencing the beetle, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to say studying something like this. And this is going to be, if you're interested in this, I find this field very fascinating and one that has a lot of little subsets within it. So like I said, you know, it's not just entomology, it's mycology, you're studying fungi and stuff, you're studying the environment. You could work for NASA and still be working with these kind of concepts. This is gonna be generally a government or academia sort of setting for as, you know, as far as employment is concerned. Now, this one look familiar? This is the one my friend's working on uh, down in Southwest Ohio, the Asian longhorn beetle. Thankfully, these guys don't breed as fast as those emerald, longhorn, uh, emerald ash borers, but they can be a significant pest because they eat far more and they do a lot more damage to more species of trees. So whereas before we were worried about mostly just the ash trees, these guys are going after your maples and like 10 or so other tree species. And if you have not just ornamental trees, meaning ones that are there looking pretty in your yard, but ones that are filling up forests. You know, we have that bark beetle killing those, those trees in those forests on the west, uh, west coast. If we start losing these trees in our forests, that's gonna be a problem for possible fires, possible loss of income for our tiny logging industry that we have now, or other uh, environmental concerns as well. And she works for a university, I think Xavier, 
and uh, there are a mix of state and academia again in this area. Now, oh, anybody squeamish? Okay, so these next couple are one of my favorite things in the whole wide world. Now, if you caught that image, that was a skull. I'll bring that back up. So I did training uh, at Penn, uh, my graduate study is at, is at Ohio State. Prior to going there, I did some summer program and research in forensic entomology, trained a little bit at Penn State, and I am with a group called NAFIA, the North American Forensic Entomology Association. Now, when we think forensic entomology, what, what comes to mind? You ever, bugs and forensics, what do you think of? You ever seen the show Bones? Bones, yes. So there's that show, um, CSI, of course you had Grissom, and entomology has been in a few other shows. I saw it far more often, yes, in Bones, a show I, I kind of quit watching about halfway through. It, it went to soap opera-y. And, and when there was an episode where, what is it? The, the, the bug guy, whatever the heck his name was, the, the crazy guy, where he was mad, uh, or he was, he, no, he was excited because he identified a body from the rare, rare, big quotes, emerald ash borer. And I'm thinking, seriously, in this part of the country, it's rare. Okay, it's TV, but anyway, I, I just kind of stopped. It's one of those things, when you kind of are involved or you've experienced a little bit of it, it gets too much. It's still light fun. I'm still okay with it. Like I can go back and, and get the nostalgia of the first few seasons, but yeah. So you got your CSI, you got your bones. Forensic entomology is, in a nutshell, forensic, meaning this, you know, we're looking at the application of the law or the legal system to entomology. So it actually doesn't mean just this. It's not just your skull covered in critters that are eating the flesh off of it. It's actually what we talked about earlier, those stored product pests, right? You get that box of pancake mix, it's been sitting there for a week, but the expiration is in six months. You can sue, that's an application of entomology to the legal system. If you get bed bugs in your home, or if you buy a home and you get termites in your home, the, the person that inspected your home said there's no termites. You, you do a, a remodel a year after you purchase, the whole thing's infested. That individual lied. He lied on a legal document. You're taking that person to court. Those are the three main applications of forensic entomology. But this is the one we think about. It's cooler, it's flashier. I'm more partial to it. It smells worse but I find it more interesting. Um, and actually, termites are the number one application of entomology in the legal system. So if you're gonna be looking at those three things and you're saying forensic entomology as a whole, termites are your number one. So when it comes to this side, the medical legal or the stinky body stuff of forensic entomology, we have the ability to determine your minimum post-mortem interval. Basically, the point in time or the range of time from when uh, a body was either died or was in, put in a certain place to the time you find it. Now, the reason I don't say time since death, TV loves to throw that at you, right? So-and-so died between the hours of 1 and 1.30 a.m. It's like, no, you didn't get that. Your coroners, your, your medical examiners can't determine that. Forensic entomologists can get pretty close, but you get a good range of several hours 
depending on how long an individual has been dead, the circumstances in which they have been dead, if they have been stuffed in the trunk of a car, if they're out in the middle of the woods and they've died in the middle, middle of winter, that's going to seriously impact how decomposition occurs, right? Decomposition needs to have a several factors impacting uh, or several things impacting the process of decomposition. So it's not just the bugs come in and things fall off and goo goes away. It is a series of steps all interworking. And the insects are a significant part of that. If you don't have any insects around, say in the middle of winter, that's going to mess things up, right? So this is an interesting case. I just came across this one. This is a mite. So mites are ubiquitous. Mites are itty bitty, itty bitty, tiny, tiny little ticks, right? We have mites on our skin. There are mites flying around on bugs. Mites themselves don't fly, but mites can hang out on the backs of flies, which then fly around, right? This is a mite that was found on a banknote that was stolen from a bank. And it was used uh, in, a, in a criminal investigation. So again, forensic entomology, not just stinky bodies, but other things pertaining to the legal system involving insects and other arthropods. Now I'm going to be done here in a little bit. I put this warning as a reminder to myself. Now the skull, the skull was pretty benign. If you, uh, and I'm serious, if you are disturbed by human goo or wounds, I have another set of images coming up next. One page, cover your eyes, turn around. If you are interested in medicine, this next one is going to be of particular interest to you. This is going to be a field that maybe you could go into, study entomology as well, but also from the medical side of things as a nurse or a specialist. Ready? One, two, go. Maggot therapy is a type of medical procedure that exploits the natural uh, life cycle and processes of fly growth. So the fly, they, mate, they lay their eggs, they develop into maggots, form their pupa, pupa does its thing and then becomes an adult, rinse, repeat. This is an instance where what we are using are specific species of fly larvae. And this is one of those same species of flies that go after decomposing remains, right? So what they do is they raise these fly maggots in a sterile environment to keep them just for this purpose, where you have an individual up here with a very significant, uh, uh, what is this, Berger's disease up on the top left, or top right on my side, um, and they do a series of treatments where they have the maggots, they put them in a cloth, a type of cheesecloth, and then they put that over the wound for a period of time, because these species of maggots will only eat dead or decaying flesh, they won't go after healthy flesh. Some species will. So you can't use those, right? So you use the ones that only eat the dead flesh. They put that on there. They take it off, clean it up, put a dressing back on. A couple days later or whenever the next tape prescribed, you do it again. You clean it off, put the maggots on it, wait, they eat the dead flesh, you pull it off, you re rinse, repeat, until you have the healed foot. The bottom one is again similar to that. You can see this, these, uh, uh, it's a little bit better up here on my screen if you really want to come look at the black toes that are falling off. Um, 
But this is an, actually a very important aspect of the healthcare system where entomology overlaps in a very positive way. We still use leeches, believe it or not. Leeches are a very important part of wound and um, limb reattachment surgeries. Le uh, leeches, by the way, not insects. Still cool, though. Now, that was sick, right, for some of you. I think it's fascinating. So I'm going to end on something that has pretty much been around as long as humans have been domesticating anything, and that's beekeeping. Beekeeping is a huge industry. Ohio, one of the first agricultural laws here was to require the state to have an apiary head or an apiary inspection program. So we have people that go out, we, we inspect your hives, we make sure that you don't have American or European fowl brood, which is a disease that can wipe out entire colonies, right? We find one of those, we find a colony of honeybees that has fowl brood. We take those bees, we take that colony, the whole thing, box and all, dig a ditch, throw it in there, light it on fire, and then cover it up. It is that bad. It is the anthrax of the bee world. Is that the actual protocol? Yes. Oh. That is the actual protocol. And it, kill it with fire is the appropriate method of dealing with fowl brood. It is. Um, and I have here an example of uh, honeybee beekeeping in ancient Egypt. So it's been around for a long time. We have cave paintings that have bees. So the, uh, we weren't keeping bees back when we were you know, cavemen type people. But accessing honey from honeycombs that the bees had is something we are documented to have been doing for thousands and thousands of years. This is something people do as a hobby. It's something people do uh, professionally. We have professional beekeepers making decent, ba decent bank keeping bees in this state. So to kind of sum up, you got your two basic areas. You got your public and your private fields of employment within entomology. I'd also like to throw in here lobbying groups this isn't something that one would think of when it comes to the idea of being an entomologist. It's something, in my mind, you can do as a citizen, and you should do as a private citizen, uh, but you can also do as a part of either of these uh, aspects. As an individual who is concerned about the environment or concerned about insects, I meet with my representatives privately, I, or I meet with their, represent, uh, their staff or them. I've met with Portman on a couple occasions, and now that we have new people in my local uh, state house, I'm going to be making some appointments with them. Because entomology is very poorly funded. That's one of the biggest problems in this field when it comes to trying to get work. Your jobs are limited because the funding is coming from limited areas. We have been seeing decreased, significant, uh, significant decreases in funding uh, from the government to academia or to research since the Clinton administration. It's not just new. Much as I would love to say it's one administration over another, it's not. It's been a decline for several years, for several administrations. Um, so if you're looking for a solid job in this area, not just entomology, but in science in general, so your more natural sciences like biology, botany, ecology, entomology, these are going to be your two basic fields, your private and public areas. The Department of Defense, the military, great benefits. And if that's something you're interested in, serving your country in the military, excellent way to do that. Excellent way to do that. I would definitely recommend it. And if you want to get some more resources, I have the Entomological Society of America. Also, NAFIA. Again, I'm biased. I am currently the secretary of the organization. I have a podcast. If you're on Apple, go ahead and find it. Send me an email. Give me some suggestions for topics. I'm happy to take them. 
and my personal email. And again, speak with your reps. Entomology needs a lot more love. People rarely talk to them about science and even less so about bugs. If you have any questions, I'm absolutely happy to take them now. Thank you. Questions? What's in the case? Oh yes, you guys are welcome to come up. These are just some of the insects I have collected, uh, mostly during my graduate work. So if you want to check some of them out, the only one that I didn't collect personally is this critter right here. This is actually from Brazil. This is one of my favorite critters. Uh, it's the oleander hawk moth. Very beautiful. Sphinx moth. We have sphinx moths here, but not that species. Uh, yes? How did the How did that mite help with that investigation? I haven't read the whole case report, but some ways I could think about it would be if they were trying to determine where someone was. So you can look at the life cycle of a mite or any critter, and if you know the temperature, you can calculate how many life cycles that, in the, that critter would have gone through. And so if someone, if I grabbed this batch of money or if I killed this person, Insects will go through a certain set of life cycles within a certain period of time. You can go, okay, that was 10 days. Were you there 10 days ago? Yes, you were. Okay, so you were at least at the scene of the crime. Um, I don't know the full story on that mite. I can definitely look that up and figure that out. There could have been uh, some fungus or some, some other product that was on the bank, uh, on the money itself, that was also on the mite and it could have connected a couple things. Question? Oh, come on now. Everyone want to go do uh, maggot therapy now? Have I done it? No, I have not. Would I do it? Absolutely. You mean like apply or receive? There's a debate. Hmm? Oh, I thought you were going to say something. There, there's a sort of pseudo debate among entomologists about whether or not we would rear a bot fly if we got one in us. So bot flies are insects that part of their life cycle involves the larva living inside the flesh of a, of, a, of a critter. I've seen them in rabbits and cows and horses, but there's a primate bot fly in parts of Central and South America. And a few people have gotten them in them. And like they will, if, depending on where it is, will debate. It's like, okay, if it's in your butt, would you let it live its life cycle or would you remove it? Because it hurts to get those sucker removed. They hook. It was like one of those like weird like emergency things. Yeah. So yeah. So for most of us it comes down to it depends on where it is. But I, I honestly don't have an answer if if I would be willing to let a bot fly live inside me for a period of time. I know. I, I love the fact that I'm making the teacher uncomfortable. It's the for science thing. It's yeah. Oh yes, it's very much for science. <laughs> Any questions about science or how does one get involved or uh, grad school? Favorite beer? Yeah. <laughs> Favorite beer is Take the Black Stout by Omegon Brewery. They have a contract with HBO to do. Uh, short run beer brews. 
Uh, and they had one several years ago, which is the best stout I've ever had. Um, it's awesome. If you can find it, if they ever do it again, take the black stout. So good. Yes. Would there be regulation about uh, if I'm serving someone serving like, grog? Like, but I, I know like we, there is the regulation for like solid food, like you yeah. said, like um, coffee beans, but I wonder that one wonder if there was some sort of one for uh, liquids. Well, is it different for liquids? Well, the answer is yes and no. It depends on how it's getting to you. Are you buying it at, when it has an open top and it's sitting at your table and then gets the stuff on there? Is the, are the insects part of the fermentation process? In the United States, I'm going to say that would be not allowed. However, there are certain parts of the world where, like say there's this cheese, right, no, Kazumarzu, which is a cheese that requires, uh, <laughs> requires fly larvae as part of the process of, yes, yes. So like basically if the cheese isn't moving, it's not good. No, no is my answer on that cheese. I, that, is, that is a limit for me. I think it's fascinating. I, I, I know it's fine, but no, I just can't. And that cheese is actually illegal in different parts. So it's, it's in the indigenous area, in the, in the area that it is indigenous to where it was created, it's, it's considered kind of okay. But if you go out from there, even within the same country, so same overall laws, but not, not allowed there, but it is in a little tiny part there. So that, that kind of thing is going to depend. Here in the States, I would say your grog, if it's being served with a layer of fruit flies, no. Although I can, I can totally picture some couture wine place in the short north coming up with like non-GMO fruit fly wine and selling it and making all of the money. And I will cry in student debt. Any questions? Any more? I'm happy to answer. No? Oh, okay. So, so oh, yes? You recommended the military. Was that just like as a side gig so you could get into bugs? Or as a way to get into bugs? <clears throat> so, okay. Basically, how do you make bugs your job? Yeah. The problem is, and this is true with many of the sciences, the funding and the job opportunities are very limited. If you, are, if you have the ability to just drop everything and go, and you're like, cool, I just got my degree, I don't have any roots here yet, I'm gonna go to California and work with those bark beetles. That sounds pretty awesome. Great. It's not gonna pay a lot. It'll pay okay. It'll pay fair. But it's not gonna, you're not gonna get rich. Anybody that tries to say, oh, you're just part of big corporate XYZ, none of us are making that kind of money. Whether it's private industry, unless, the private industry people that make bank are chemists. That's how it works. But if you're doing your bugs or your basic biology, it's find a way. If you have the flexibility, then you can go anywhere and do this kind of work. But the problem is a lot of people don't have that flexibility. And that's kind of where I have found myself. I've actually gone back to school, which is how I met Dr. Howard. Um, I am looking to expand and take my entomology and science knowledge, and I'm applying to med school. 
So that's what I'm kind of in this position of. I went this route. It didn't work out the way that I thought things would go because all of us are told a certain story, right? <clears throat> there's the, there's you do X, you do Y, you do Z. World's your oyster. Well, it's tough and you have to fight for some things and you have to have a level of pragmatism. If you want to make bugs part of your world, I encourage you to do it. I also encourage you to be willing to be able to drop everything and go because that's what needs to happen for entomology to be a viable career. There are jobs out there, the CDC being one, I think I had that listed there. CDC is hiring people working in entomology. Uh, big issues there, again, with your malaria, with your ticks, mosquitoes. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the big thing when it comes to a career in entomology. You plan to go to med school to do what? I want to be a forensic pathologist. Not a forensic entomologist. No, uh, I get to do both. <laughs> and I can pay off my student loans. Uh, it, no, for my, my current position is with the State Department of Ag. And this is something else I want to, before you head out, before we get run out of time, the one thing I would recommend to anybody, whether it's entomology, whether you want to go into accounting, whether you want to be a teacher, I recommend an internship that gives you actual practical experience doing the thing and or seeing the people you're doing it with. If it means sacrificing a summer making 10 bucks an hour, don't take an unpaid one. Those things are scams. They just have you making copies and getting people coffee, okay? And even if it's cheap, take a summer to do the thing and see what people are actually doing in that field. Because you might find that it's not really matching up what you are imagining and that it can be a hard thing to kind of process once you get into that world. And you know, that's where I found myself. I realized I love the bug stuff. Most of what I'm doing is sitting in a cubicle talking on the phone. I don't like that. There is a reason I did not go to office space school. I don't want to be, you know, have my, my red slingback stapler. Um, and uh, that's not my world. My world is science. My world is um, constantly questioning my, myself, the world around me, and trying to learn and grow. And that's the world I want to be a part of. And pathology, medicine, is something I've been fascinated and loved since I was very little. Uh, not just your MD, uh, your, not just Bones or CSI. For me, it was some older TV shows that kind of got that spark. And then I got into medicine. I got into working in the forensic stuff as a student. And I loved it. But there aren't really a lot of forensic entomologists. There's 50 in the country, and they're all professors at colleges. And, uh, yeah. If that's your route, I absolutely encourage you to do it. I encourage you to get practical experience and live a little. And if you find yourself at 38 years old, going back to school, own it and rock it. And come check out the bugs. <laughs> and there you go, one more time where I had the opportunity to warp some young minds. If you find yourself questioning the idea of pursuing entomology as a career or just want to know more, send me an email and I can give you guys, give you some tips and give you some ideas of what might be out there. If you caught that at the end there, you might have heard why I have not been so great with the regular posting of episodes lately. That's because in addition to the normal work, I'm also being a student and preparing for all of those lovely entrance, entrance exams that the pre-med student has to do. But I'm still here, I'm still as buggy as ever, and I'm going to be bringing you more episodes shortly. So 
hit that subscribe button. Send me an email, bugsbloodandbones at gmail.com. Find me on Facebook. Even if I'm not posting episodes regularly, I am sharing interesting news articles and ideas on that Facebook page. So if you have a question, comment, or want to know more, contact me at any of those routes. And as always, I want to thank the Underscore Orchestra for their amazing music. And until next time, remember kids, keep calm and carry in. Thank you.